0: Hey there everyone, howdy. I hope you guys are having a fabulous day and week wherever you are listening from. So welcome to podcast number eight of Once Upon a Time in Texas. Man, oh man, I'll tell you what, this has been a crazy ride so far. Um, I hope you guys are really enjoying this. Um, I do spend a fair amount of time each week uh, putting this little podcast together. Just a little bit about Texas and legends and lore and myths and all that stuff and a little bit of history and stuff sprinkled in there too. But I really have been having a ball uh, putting all this together. I'm getting lots of great feedback um, from everyone and cannot thank you all enough for all the support. <clears throat> I even had my grandmother from Oklahoma listen to last week's podcast and uh, we were talking about the Texas State Capitol building, a little bit about the XIT Ranch. And uh, she just shot me a a text a few days ago, which, uh, happy birthday, grandma. My grandmother turned uh, 90 years old at the beginning of March. So love my grandmother, she's awesome. And so uh, she texted me and said, hey, this is really interesting uh, that you did this because she got to meet one of the inheritors or owners of the XIT Ranch at some point. I don't know if it was recent or not, but I know she was a docent with the Cowboy Hall of Fame there in Oklahoma City for a long time. She may still be, I don't remember. But she got to meet lots of neat people and still does meet lots of neat people. So she said this inheritor was really a neat guy and he explained that they had struck oil on the XIT Ranch, which is really what kind of skyrocketed the ranch as well. But he also showed kind of a genealogy of the family that owned the ranch. And it included uh, the famous cowboy actor, Randolph Scott. Um, If you don't remember uh, from the movie Blazing Saddles, you know, where the the new sheriff comes to town and the people are kind of giving him a hard time and the sheriff looks at him and goes, you do it for Randolph Scott. And everybody takes off their hats and like this choir in the background, Randolph Scott. And anyway, they all agree to go along with him. But anyway, uh, that's really, that's cool stuff. Grandma. Thanks for sending that to me. Um, so another little fun aside with my grandmother, uh, me, my mother and grandmother are talking about maybe doing a little, uh, bonus, I guess, to once upon a time in Texas for lack of better words. Um, and call it something like coffee with grandma or something like that and anyway she's she's a bit of a history buff too she's really interesting and uh if we can get her onto this podcast some for a little extra bonus stuff then i'm going to do it so anyway again uh welcome to podcast number eight of once upon a time in texas as always i am your host michael mitchell uh, this podcast was written and produced by me, and when I say produced, I use that word uh, very loosely because, as you can hear, I clear my throat. Uh, I really don't do a lot of editing. It, this is just me. You're you're getting the raw deal right here. But it is written and produced by me. We do have a sponsor, uh, Miracle Mortgage, which is me and my friend Debbie. So if you know anyone moving to or in the great state of Texas, have them look me up. Y'all can find me at themichaelmitchell.com. Me and Miracle Mortgage can help you get a home anywhere in Texas. Of course, remember, we finance dreams, not mortgages. All right. So today, let's go ahead and dive into some of the most intriguing tales of Texas's past. And this is just a few that I pulled out, but let's give it a whirl, see what we can do. So what would Texas um, be without, uh, you know, lore? And of course, you know, with lore comes bandits or outlaws. And let's start off with an interesting one. And I'm not going to dive too deep into this one because I think I want to do a separate podcast on it later. But, you know, everyone knows about Billy the Kid, and there is actually some controversy as to whether he actually died at Fort Sumner, New Mexico, at the hand of his friend if if you believe, you know, the movies, Young Guns and Young Guns 2, which were great movies by the way in their own right. Um and then also of course, you know, one of my favorite soundtracks of all times, uh Young Guns 2, which was all put together by John Bon Jovi. So it's awesome. So if you don't remember, you know, I'm going down in a blaze of glory. Yeah, that was Young Guns 2 soundtrack by John Bon Jovi. And who knows, if John Bon Jovi hears my little podcast, then howdy, Bon Jovi. Man, I sure appreciate you. That, uh, that soundtrack was kind of the, uh, I don't know, I listened to it a lot when I was a kid. Still blared away. My kids are like, oh, dad, this old music. I'm like, shut up. This is good stuff. <clears throat> anyway, so if you believe that Billy the Kid died at the hand of his friend Pat Garrett in Fort Sumner or did he actually live kind of in somewhat relative ex- obscurity um you know for the rest of his life and he passed away an old man in the 1950s named Brushy Bill Roberts in the town of Hidalgo, Texas. Who knows? Um, I'll dig into this later though. You know, I've, I've been to Heiko. I've checked out some stuff. I've not been to the Billy, the kid museum there. Um, but I have been to Fort Sumner and I have seen the, the grave that's claimed to be Billy, the kid. And, uh, anyway, I didn't know until doing a little bit of research on this particular podcast that there was actually a guy in Arizona that claimed to be an old Billy, the kid as well. Who knows? I'll get into that later. Let's do a Billy the Kid one later. But you know what? Let's jump into someone that you may or may not know now. So our first story, our first legend and lore of this week um, is going to go back to the days of the Wild West. Outlaws roamed and justice was often found at the end of a 6 sheeter. Yeah, justice in the barrel of a loaded gun. There you go. There's another young guns to uh, soundtrack. Thanks. Bon Jovi. <laughs> One of the most notorious bandits, uh, of the time late, late 1800s in this area was this fella named Sam Bass, Samuel Bass. So he was a bank and train robber who really terrorized Texas in the late 1800s. I say terrorized Texas, I guess really he kind of terrorized Texas and kind of terrorized some other places. So we'll talk about that. So Sam was born in Mitchell, Indiana. Ooh, that sounds like a fantastic time or time. Sounds like a fantastic town, just based on the name. You know, in my humble opinion, of course, you know, Mitchell, Indiana, the Michael Mitchell dot com anyway. So you go. So he's born in Mitchell, Indiana in 1851. Um, he is orphaned right before his 13th birthday. There's not really any discussion as to why he was orphaned. It doesn't say whether both of his parents died or what, but anyway, right before his 13th birthday, <clears throat> he is orphaned and he's raised after that time, uh, by an uncle. And there's really no information on him, uh, at least that I could find. Uh, but they do know that he you know sam bass leaves home about 19 years old so he moseys on down to mississippi where he works at a sawmill for about a year and then he ends up meandering on over to north texas Um, and so he actually worked and this is what i found kind of interesting so he worked for a time uh, for the sheriff in denton texas denton county but apparently that just didn't really set well with him. So then he goes and tries his hand at wrangling cattle, but he finds it really boring. Doesn't like it. Eh, I'm going to go on to something else. So then he buys a horse and he finds out that this horse is really a fast horse. And so he goes into horse racing. And so he races this horse and he lives off the proceeds for several years, you know, challenging people to a race winning winning money, living off those proceeds. And apparently he did pretty well at it because he did it for a while. But then as horses do, uh, the horse got kind of old and ended up being too old really to race. So he partners up with this guy named Joel Collins. And they decide that they're going to do a cattle drive. I guess they were kind of the ringleaders, the straw bosses whatever, and and they're gonna do a cattle drive, they're gonna head this up for several ranches down around San Antonio. And so they get everything set up, they get I guess all their wranglers and cowboys together. And they drive the cattle north to Nebraska in 1876. So this is where things start going sideways for old Sam Bass. So he ends up squandering all of the proceeds from this cattle drive which keep in mind you were putting a lot of faith in in people that were driving your cattle because they're taking all of your cows they're driving them north and uh you're expecting those people to return with your money and uh, sam bass apparently decides nah he's gonna cruise on up there to deadwood south dakota and promptly proceeds in squandering all of the money from the cattle drive while gambling. So anyway, apparently this just kind of pisses old Sam off. He's now broke. He and his buddy, Joel Collins, are both broke. And so then they decide, you know what, we're going to, I guess, just be honest guys a little bit longer. And so they jump in and they tried working as freighters. So freighters, these are guys that are hauling wagon loads of stuff around for people or across the plains or whatever. And then they just decide arbitrarily, I guess, one day, this is really hard. It's really hard to make a living at it. So you know what? This sucks. <laughs> let's let's start an outlaw gang and we'll rob stagecoaches. I don't know if they sat down and did up a business plan or, you know, <laughs> anything like that. Or if they were just sitting around drinking one night going, man, this freighter stuff is hard work. Let's just go rob stagecoaches. But anyway, um, so they decide, you know, screw this freighter stuff. They start their outlaw gang and they have a few hits, um, you know, robbing stagecoaches. But then they really hit it big when they robbed the Union Pacific Railroad Gold Train that was coming from San Francisco in 1877. So they hit the train in Big Springs, Nebraska, and they got about $60,000, which is about $1.65 in today's money. And then they decide to kind of split up. You know, hey, we had this little outlaw gang. Probably ought to split up. We got some heat on us now because we just robbed a train. So Bass heads back to Texas. He wants to start a new gang, and he does. So they do some small, you know, small-time stagecoaches here and there. And in 1878, the early 1878, they've got two stagecoach and four train robberies all within 25 miles of Dallas. And these are all attributed to Sam Bass and his gang. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of money <clears throat> made on these robberies, but it did get the attention of the infamous Pinkerton National Detective Agency. And there was a special company of Texas Rangers that were put together to deal with the Sam Bass guy. So obviously, I mean, Sam Bass, you know, let's be frank. Uh, he pissed off the wrong people, right? He's robbing trains, stagecoaches. It was probably, he probably robbed somebody's mother or something on a stagecoach. Anyway, now the Texas Rangers and the Pinkerton National Detective Agency are after him. So Bass is able to get around. He eludes him for a while. Um, Things are going okay, I guess. And then a member of his gang ended up becoming an informant. Now, this is kind of interesting because they catch this member of his gang. They tell him that his dad is, you know, really sick. And unless they unless this guy, this informant tattles on Sam Bass and gives him, you know, some stuff that they're not going to render medical aid to his dad and his dad's going to die. Uh, apparently from what I gathered, that was untrue, but you know, whatever, you know, it's the Pinkertons and the Texas Rangers, they do what they want. So the lawman and detectives set up this trap for Sam Bass around Round Rock The informant had told them that Bass and his gang were going to rob the Williamson County Bank. So on July 18th, 1878, they go to, they're, they're kind of scoping out things in town and a Williamson County, um, sheriff's deputy comes up and kind of recognizes some of the guys and he comes up and tells them, Hey, I'm here to disarm you, um, give up your guns. And they end up shooting the guy. And then there's this big shootout. And so apparently it was a little bit of a cluster. You know, Sam Bass is shot by the Texas Rangers or the Pinkertons, but there is some confusion as to who was who, because the Williamson County sheriffs that were involved, you know, these deputies and stuff, they had no idea that the Rangers and the Pinkertons were in town. (laughs) And so um, apparently there wasn't a whole lot of cooperation of law enforcement there. Anyway, with all this fiasco, you know, Bass gets shot, but he gets away. And so they form a posse and they go out looking for him and they end up finding him in a pasture west of Round Rock. Um, but they only find him after he waves cause they're about to ride off. He can hear him talking and they're looking for him. They can't see him. Apparently he's laying out there in this pasture, but you know, it's all thick and stuff. And <clears throat> so anyway, they're going to, uh, right away. And finally he waves his hand and he tells him, here I am. I'm Sam Bass. I'm the guy you're looking for. And so they take him back into town. I don't know. They didn't give him aid and he, he ends up dying. But what's interesting is to this day, there's no known, you know, for certain photo of Sam Bass because no one could confirm any of the photos were actually him. And the lawmen didn't photograph him after the shootout. It didn't even occur to them. They're getting all this pressure from Austin and these other people that are mad about this Sam Bass guy. And so they didn't think to photograph him while he was still alive after the shootout. They didn't photograph him when he was dead. They just kind of wanted to bury him and be done with it. And so I guess a few months later, Bass's sister comes presumably from Indiana. It doesn't say where she came from, but she comes down to Round Rock to get him a proper headstone. And she is shown the wanted poster with Sam's photo or likeness on it. And she's talking to this Williamson County Sheriff and she says, that's not my brother. I have no idea who that is, but it's not my brother. Um, So... <laughs> So that kind of throws everything. You know, I don't know. Maybe Sam Bass was still out there wandering around and lived a long life. Who knows? Uh, Maybe he did die that day. But yeah, apparently the photos that law enforcement had of him (laughs) were not his and or his sister was just telling a lie. Who knows? But here's where the legend comes into this. So legend does have it that Sam Bass buried a stash of gold coins somewhere in Denton County. And I've heard this a lot because where I live here in Wichita Falls is only about an hour and a half away from Denton. And, you know, I grew up in Henrietta, which is even a little closer to Denton. And, you know, there are these stories every now and then that come up where people say, Hey, they found clues that, uh, you know, and then they go out and search people's properties and things like that. And there was even a TV show on it, uh, not too long ago where they're actually hunting for this stash of gold coins that Sam Bash, uh, Sam Bash, Sam Bass had buried before he was gunned down by lawmen. So the treasure's never been found, but every once in a while, somebody claims this, they stumble upon a clue and, you know, it'll lead them to the loot. But apparently he buried him at some point earlier, um, a lot of folks like to link it to, you know, oh, there were lawmen in town and he went and stashed the treasure. And that's not the case because Denton's actually kind of a ways away from Round Rock. Round Rock's kind of down close to Austin. So, um, yeah, who knows? Who knows what happened? But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that still come up. So there you go. Little bit of the legend of Sam Bass and his buried coins. So if you live down in Denton County, who knows? Maybe you're sitting on a pile of cash and don't even know it. So let's move on to another legend. This is one that I've heard about for years and years and years. So we're going to head way out to West Texas, way south to the little town of Marfa. So this is a really a secluded desert town and it is home to this mysterious phenomenon known as, ready for this? Very original? the MarFA lights. That's right, folks. The Marfa lights of Marfa, Texas. So these floating lights have been spotted by locals and travelers for well over a hundred years. The first sighting was actually reported, you know, so so I've been able to find. It was originally reported by a cow hand named Robert Reed Ellison in 1883, and he was driving cattle through Pesano Pass, and he mentioned to his other cowboy buddies, I guess the next day, that he had seen flickering lights and, uh, on this, this mesa, this flat area, and wondered if it was light from campfires from Apache Indians that were possibly in the area. So the next day they decide to ride out, they investigate the area, you know, where he says that he saw this and they found no ashes or any evidence or anything of campfires. You know, nobody had been there. So then they're reported again by a couple in 1885, um, you know, that just said that they saw lights out there and apparently there's a little bit of investigation and nothing's found. Um, But then the sightings really start taking off in 1957 after a, uh, an account is published in a magazine called the coronet. So who knows, you know, people are, we're looking for a lot of stuff in the fifties. I don't know. So most of the lights tend to be located over an area known as, oh, and this is, I've got to go see this someday. Y'all ready for this? So earlier with Sam Bass, we talk about Mitchell, Indiana, and I did not plan that at all. And so now we're down around Marfa and I did not plan this. The lights are mostly seen over a place called Mitchell flat, man. That sounds like another amazing place, you know, based on its name, of course. (laughs) So, uh, they can be seen from a widened spot, a widened shoulder on highway 90, about nine miles East of Marfa. And the lights are mostly reported to be distant spots of brightness, um, But everybody says they are different from ranch lights or car headlights, and they apparently have no specific routine or movement. And so there's been lots of guesses as to what these, you know, what causes these lights, what these lights are. I've never been there. I've never seen it. Never been to Marfa. I'd like to go someday. But uh, a lot of these different causes are what's causing them, you know, where they come from. Some say it's uh, atmospheric phenomenon or phenomena. So similar to the Northern Lights or Aurora Borealis, which, you know, sounds interesting. Uh, Some say that it really is just car lights being reflected off of, I don't know, whatever's in the air. And this is kind of where it gets interesting. So some people do say that it's just car lights. And this was actually investigated by a group called the Society of Physics Students from the University of Texas in Dallas. So they did this in 2004 and they actually kind of proved that maybe it is car lights. Um, but I don't know, like, you know, what about our cowboy in 1883 and 1885? There, there probably weren't a whole lot of car lights back then. I don't know. I, I still like to believe. So there are some folks that strongly believe um, they are extraterrestrial in nature because, of course, you know, UFOs and aliens, why not come to Marfa? Sounds like a great day. And I I just, you know, again, I just say why not to that one. Why, Why couldn't it be extraterrestrials, aliens and UFOs, just running around over Mitchell Flat down by Marfa, Texas? I think that sounds good. But the legend that I like most... And maybe this comes from my time in the Boy Scouts and I'm a member of the Boy Scouts Honor Camper Society called the Order of the Arrow, which has a lot of Native American myth and lore and legend around it. But the the legend that I really like most is that the lights are really just the spirits of Native American warriors from the past. And they're there forever reminding us that they are still watching. Wow. I mean, what do you say to that, right? that sounds like a pretty cool legend. And I, I like that one. So whatever the cause, whatever causes these little orbs of lights, um, the Marfa lights do remain one of Texas's most interesting and enduring mysteries. Hmm. So of course let's go ahead and jump into another little Texas lore and and we're going to cover this a little more, but you know, another big lore, uh, Texas lore would not be complete without a nod to one of our state's most famous heroes. That's right, Davy Crockett. You may all go to hell and I will go to Texas. Um, yeah, so we like to hang our hats on that thing. And, and really, he was talking, I guess, to the state of Tennessee when he didn't get reelected. And he told some of the other state senators and legislatures whatever you may all go to hell and i will go to texas which he was planning on going to anyway but anyway i like that so davy crockett's born in tennessee in in 1786 and you know famously he moves to texas in the early 1830s presumably to help fight for the region's independence from mexico which which isn't really correct (laughs) he he was coming here to do land speculation and other stuff i mean Come on, Davy Crockett was coming to Texas to make a buck like everybody else in the 1830s. They were moving to Texas to make a buck. And so, but of course, you know, Texas lore, Davy Crockett, that sacred cow, he came to Texas to fight for Texas's independence. That's the only reason he was here. Yeah, not really. So he famously dies defending the Alamo in 1836, but, uh, his legend has lived on. Thanks a lot to, you know, Disney and all the other stuff that, you know, all the movies that came out in the fifties and sixties and even seventies, they, they've really pushed that legend. And I'm not saying that Davy Crockett wasn't a cool guy. Um, but I will say that was one of the hardest biographies that I've ever read because the person that wrote the biography or autobiography, whatever it was for him, wrote it like he spoke. And my God, it, it was hard to read. It took me forever to read this book because you have to read it and then you have to reread it to make sure you understand what he's trying to say because it was written like Crockett spoke. <laughs> and he was quite the storyteller. But uh, yeah, a publicist um, or a grammarian, he was not. So anyway, um, Crockett's born. Crockett's born comes to Texas in the 1830s, dies in the Alamo, but according to some tales, Crockett's ghost still haunts the Alamo. Now, I've been to the Alamo several times. I've never seen Crockett's ghost. Of course, I've never been there at night, which apparently that's when ghosts come out a lot, but so he still haunts the Alamo. He makes strange noises inside the Alamo and moves objects around on the ground because why not? I mean, if you're going to die famously and you're going to come back as a ghost, why not haunt a place like the Alamo? I, you know, I may just come back to a museum here in Wichita falls and just be like, you know what? I'm going to move crap around and make noises just to weird people out. <laughs> I feel like there would be a lot more to do in the afterlife, but yeah, you know, maybe not. Maybe it's just a boring place and we got to entertain ourselves. So, uh, whether you not, whether or not you believe in ghosts, um, there's really no, no denying that Davy Crockett's legacy really, 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 um, is, is large. His legacy is a large one here in Texas history. So anyway, uh, do a little more research. There's a, there's some great books out there. There's tons of great books about the Alamo. I encourage you to read them. One that I read recently was called Forget the Alamo, which is actually, uh, a very interesting and different viewpoint, I guess, for, you know, the Alamo and kind of how things went. Um, you know, it's, I won't get into that right here, but yeah, I'd just say go read it. So there you go. These are a few, just three stories that make Texas such a fascinating and interesting place. So from fierce outlaws like Billy the Kid and Sam Bass to potentially paranormal activities, or maybe they're just car lights out in Marfa. Who knows? You know, there's there is no shortage of really intriguing legends and lore to explore here in Texas. And guess what? I'm going to keep doing it as long as y'all want me to. So there you go. Don't forget, if you know anyone looking to move from or in Texas, send them my way. Send them to me in Miracle Mortgage. Find me at themichaelmitchell.com. Um, share this podcast with your friends and family. I do hope that y'all enjoyed this podcast. Number eight of once upon a time in Texas. Um, it's always fun doing these. I love doing the research. So we will see y'all actually, I guess I'll talk to y'all next week when I come back for podcast number nine. So remember folks, the stars at night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.